0: Welcome to another episode of PropCast, a property podcast that aims to educate, inspire and engage property investors. We are your hosts, Dami Shinobala and Bimbala Hey Bim.
1: Hi, what's up Dami, how you doing?
0: I'm good, how are you?
1: Cool, cool, cool. Rushing, rushing towards that stamp duty holiday, rushing to get my, <laughs> <laughs> my completion. <laughs> before 31st of march so that's how i'm doing
0: do you think it will be extended
1: (laughs) um it could be um do i want it to be extended i don't know maybe or maybe not i don't know i don't i just want to buy my property and get (laughs) paid less time duty that's what i want
0: (laughs) get it done get it done awesome so what are we talking about today
1: well today we want to talk about social housing um, strategy. Now, this is one strategy that isn't as common. Like a lot of investors are talking about BRR, HMO, service accommodation, commercial conversions, and so on and so forth, um, which is ideal. But I've um, heard, um, I heard our guest speaker talk about um, social housing as a strategy or how to, uh, maybe not a strategy, but I'm sure he would explain a bit more about how to. Take on, or how to benefit or profit from tenants that are, um, that need help, um, with a payment, which is something that a lot of landlords will automatically turn their backs on, me being one of them as well. I have to confess. So I'm so excited that we're having this conversation. Um, so I guess let me just introduce Mike then, um, and let's just get into it. So, guys, today's podcast, we've got a guest speaker with us, uh, Mike Frisbee. he is a seasoned property investor he's been doing this for a number of years seen well how many recessions have you seen Mike well yeah we're, we're excited to have him on today he's gonna um, talk to us about one strategy that really is a must know in this season especially so welcome Mike Friesby thank you so much for taking the
0: time. Welcome Mike cue the virtual clap <laughs> welcome Mike
2: Thank you for having me here. It's uh, a, delight, a delight to be here. I was I was getting excited then for a moment because you were talking about holidays. But of course, it was a stamp duty holiday rather than getting on a plane holiday. So I was, uh, I was packing my bags and off I was going because it's been such a long time since we've all been able to travel. I was thinking, hey, we can all get on a plane again. But sadly, it's, it's not. Um, and the podcast is about property and not about holidays, unfortunately. <laughs>
0: who who knows when they're going to let us out again to uh to roam the world
2: exactly exactly
0: awesome so mike do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself your journey and how you've come to where you are today
2: yeah absolutely so i've been investing in property for around 15 years now so um i have lived through a few recessions and obviously we're we're in dark economic times at the moment as i'd call it but um I started my life in the corporate world and was in marketing and strategy, and I worked on some quite big brands, uh, Guinness being one of them, and I also worked at a company called Unilever that also does some quite no, no, well-known brands um, in supermarkets. So um, I worked in the personal care side of it, so on brands like Dove, Lynx, Shore, uh, and they do many, many other brands like Marmite, Hellman's, Nor personal so it's a massive massive company but like any massive company in the corporate world it didn't really fit me um i always knew that property investing was um i thought was a good thing to do took me absolutely ages to get off the pot and start investing um and there wasn't so much information you know there were all these podcasts like this around in my time i think i would have been able to jump out a lot lot quicker but i started to invest a bit um, you know, organizations constantly change and I was desperate to get out and an opportunity came um, for me to jump out. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take the opportunity, jump out. It's going to give me some breathing space. Let's go out and buy some, pro- you know, more property than I'd already bought. Um, what's the worst that can happen? I can always go and get another job again. So I did that and I uh, still haven't gone and got another job. So um,
0: <laughs> lucky you.
2: <laughs> something's, something's working. Um, and I went out and bought a lot of properties. Um, so in those times you could, um, refinance very quickly. So I got a master at finding great deals, refinancing very quickly. Um, but quite quickly, this was just before the last recession. Um, and then, you know, that strategy kind of disappeared overnight. And, you know, a bit, a bit like what's going on now, you know, you just, just sort of hit you. Um, You know, a bit like COVID and lockdown suddenly hit us, you know, roughly this time last year or, or, you know, 11 months ago. Um, And uh, it meant I needed to change strategy. So as I was, you know, quite used to strategies and quite used to understanding things, I put my thinking cap back on. Um, A lot of people think about HMOs. Now I've invested, I I started investing in HMOs early, um, student HMOs. And over the last five years, I've done a lot of professional HMOs. Um, so I'm really okay with that strategy as well. But at that time, um, I didn't have loads of money and no one else did. You know, Unlike this recession where there are a lot of people with money, there are those that don't and are really struggling, but there are those that do have money and banks have been lending a lot. You know, What happened was that everybody stopped lending. So there wasn't much money around, which meant to do an HMO, you needed to invest a lot of money. So I was thinking, well, what can I do to really boost my income? Some of my tenants were being made redundant, losing their jobs, so they needed to go and claim benefits to pay their rent. I helped a few of them out, and then I started to realise I knew more than the tenants because I was doing it time and time again and they would just be making a, their own single claim. And I thought there might be something in this, so I started to research, you know, learn, educate myself, speak to people who knew about this a lot more, and realised that there was a great opportunity here. Um, a great opportunity in many ways. One, you know, as a landlord, I could actually make some good profit, but also I would be doing that through helping people, helping people get accommodation that they wouldn't necessarily be able to get. Um, there were some creative strategies, you know, there's some basic stuff that you can do. And that's what most people know and understand about social housing. And they also hear the horror stories of, you know, some bad tenants. I always say there's good tenants in social housing and bad tenants in social housing, just like professional tenants. There's good professional tenants and bad professional tenants. So you shouldn't be more concerned about that sector. And I think some people, they look at the rates and go, Oh, I'm going to make less money. I'm going to continue with the professional. It's less risky. Um, but you know, when you get times like these, actually, in my view, it's less risky because the government, yeah. you know, will continue to pay the benefits through these times. And in fact, in these times, they've actually readjusted the amount that they're happy to pay around housing benefit upwards to help people. You know, as part of all the support packages that they put into businesses and everything, one of the things they've done is increase the uh, rates that they pay. So that really got me into social housing and, and and that was, you know, through the last recession and I just continued to grow the business, try different things out, learn through my experiences, you know, lost money, made money, um, as you do, as you go through learning because there wasn't so many people doing it and I had to do a lot of trial and error. But, you know, I've still got some of those tenants I moved in um, back then because a lot of them stay for a long time because, as I said, I'm giving them something that they would find hard to get elsewhere um as the economy picked up um you know i was also doing quite a lot of high-end hmos as well so it is a strategy that i use it's not just what i do but it is a really really useful thing and what i say to people is think about differentiating yourself um because you've got you know the way i'm differentiating myself with the social housing is you know these tenants aren't price sensitive they are obviously if you know what they can claim it's not about the absolute rent. It's understanding what they can claim, and if you're differentiating yourself by helping themselves, helping them with that, and helping them move into places where they wouldn't necessarily get to otherwise, then it's a you know you're starting to provide a little bit of a service, and it's a win for them, and it's a win for you. Um, you know it's easy to understand high end HMOs and giving you know setting again setting yourself apart and trying not to compete on price. By giving really really nice properties um, at that end which is what i also do but the differentiation at the other end is also just as valid and, and in my view as a landlord that's where profitability is if you get stuck in the middle competing on price you're you're in danger
0: the middle ground is always a dangerous ground. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So a couple of things that I picked up from what you said uh, in your introduction. First of all, you mentioned um, the BRR strategy disappearing. So when we go to property training seminars and things like that, BRR is still a strategy that's um, pushed out quite frequently. And you mentioned about it disappearing overnight. So is it, are you saying that it's not, as easy as it, want, as it once was, but it's still possible?
2: Um I think, yes. So on that, it was when I first started, that was a great strategy, recycling your money quickly. Um, and then because the credit crunch came, that disappeared because you couldn't refinance, you know, really, really hard to refinance. Banks just didn't want to lend. So that disappeared overnight. And that's why I went into the social housing. I think it's different today. Um Again, you need to be, you know, I think if you're in that strategy at the moment, you do need to, to have one eye on what might, might be going on in the world and the environment. Because, you know, when COVID first happened, you know, banks withdrew a lot of products. They reduced the loan to values and all that kind of stuff. So we're in that environment where things can change pretty quickly. and Therefore, you need to be careful if you're doing that strategy. So the strategy still works, but be really careful, be prudent with it, because... Loan to values can change overnight. You know the fact that people can't get in and do surveys. You know from time to time because we locked down. You know who, who thought we'd have so many lockdowns? Um, it's just fraught with uh, a bit more stress and strain, I think. But it's still it is still possible. So I'm not like against that strategy at all. It's just you need to do it with your eyes open at this point in time and have plan A, plan B, and plan C if you're implementing that strategy.
1: Yeah, so thanks, Mike. You mentioned, I totally agree with what you said about the BRR. Um, if you are doing the BRR model to just have an eye out, because I remember having a conversation with my broker a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about how valuations are going in this time and um, how the surveyors would go and value, but because of the uncertainty in the market, the uncertainty with you know the bounce back a lot of money being pumped into the economy the stamp duty they coming lots of buying house prices going up because of the, the the supply and the demand and brexit and you know not knowing what might happen the valuers they be cautious and where you would normally find like a 250 valuation they would come in at say 230 just so that they're not too um you know, just just something to buffer just in case. So yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying with with that. So if that's your st- your main strategy in this, in this, um, in this market, you definitely want to keep an eye out, as you said, and also maybe perhaps even look at other strategies because you might not be able to pull out as much money as you intend to. So I have to um agree with you on that as well, just based on a conversation I had with my broker. The other thing that you mentioned um, is when you were talking about, when you were doing your introduction and talking about the strategy, I noticed that you mentioned help a couple of times and that really um, resonated with me um, because when we think about, you know, the, the, most landlords, you know, maybe I'll talk for myself when I'm thinking about renting or rental, I'm looking at professionals I'm, you know, that's my, my go-to. And when somebody comes and they are inquiring about my property and they tell me they're on benefits or they're on DSS, I am not too quick to jump on that bandwagon. And there's this, um, and again, if I if I'm being truthful, there's this um, the thought of are they needing the help because they're not hardworking or not or too lazy or are they really needing the help? Um, but what we're finding out now with the pandemic is that. Even the most, even the hardworking people, even the professionals that have worked for their companies for years have unfortunately been kind of furloughed or lost their jobs because of what's happened. And they've had they've found themselves in a situation where now they do need help. And and, and that could happen to anyone. And I suppose thinking about this strategy is one way as a landlord of helping where you can. Um, obviously you're not helping and not making money you're, you're, you're making money but it's it's a win-win now you're, you're you're not it's not just about the money it's now look I'm doing this to also help someone that potentially would have been refused or you know by other landlords so I personally like that and I think because sometimes private landlords get the reputation as though we're just here for the money and we don't really care um, but there's an element of care in this as well which I totally totally like
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it it is, it is, it's critical to me to this strategy. You know, it's, it's the kind of people that need, do need, especially in these times, need, need a little bit of help. And a lot of the tenants that I'm dealing with, they're kind of caught in the middle of it, I feel as well, because they're not, um, you know, there's different categories of tenants and, um, I work with different categories, but one of the biggest sections that I work with, uh, don't have children, um, don't have dependents. And then they, they, you know, quite rightly so. The councils will be helping those with children, those with, you know, higher up, and therefore higher up on priority list. So they they're further down. So there's no one helping them as well. So there is a little bit of a gap there, I feel, and that's that's again one of the areas that we've stepped into uh, to help. I mean, we, we do let across the spectrum. So don't get me wrong, but a, a lot, a, a big portion of where I first started was that in se- that section where uh, you know single people um needing needing help and support
0: so uh there were a couple of other things i picked up from your introduction and um one of the things was when you when you were going through the recession your mindset was the way your mindset was tuned was that um you were looking for more ways to generate income which then led you into this path of, you know, social housing. And I think that's a very key principle, especially as business owners, entrepreneurs, is always to think of how can we generate more with our services, with our products, with whatever it is we have. And I just wanted to pull that out because that's something I heard in your story, which was really key to kind of um, building the some of the success you've had. And then something else, you know, my uncle's always said, if, if you're starting to hear about something, or if everyone's starting to talk about it, it's too late. Is it too late to get into social housing? It's
2: definitely not too late to get into social housing. I, I still think it's a, it's a strategy that's fairly much under the radar. I mean, there is a bit more buzz about it. I mean, I've been trying to, because I help people, you know, other investors actually, you know, get on board with this strategy. Um, so I do help there. And maybe because i'm pushing that out that more and more people are becoming aware of it but it's not majorly i think it's small um i think people in these times are liking it though because of the the win-win scenario as we've just touched on the help and support you know i think the world one of the good things out of the pandemic is the world has become far more community-minded um and you know pulling together on that front and realizing that you know You know it's not discrimination i mean you know in a way covid is is affecting anybody and everybody in a similar way so yeah so i i think i i think we're still on the infancy of the of the curve um you know if you bear in mind that you know last year the number of people claiming universal credit doubled you need more than double that number of new landlords into the sector to actually um you know uh, switch over to to allow you know to have to help those people out
0: Uh, Mike if you can tell us then or our listeners what what is this social housing property strategy and um, you know I I think we've kind of touched on it a bit but maybe if you can expand a bit more exactly what it is and you know how it's essential in today's market then that would be also helpful for us.
2: Yeah I mean there's many different aspects of social housing you know you've got and what a lot of people hear about is obviously council housing, and there's a big waiting list for council housing. So, in t- times like these, you know, the slack has to be taken up by private landlords. So, when private landlords are operating in this sector, generally it's essentially renting to people who uh, claim benefits. A lot of landlords don't like that because, you know, they worry about the tenant type, they worry about collecting their money. But there's certain ways that you can, you know, if you do it correctly, that you can ensure that you and get the money directly um from from the government it's not always vital that you do that as well because there's a lot of tenants who will diligently pay you too because you know if they move their family into a certain area they're living in a house that's nicer than they might have been able to get otherwise and their kids are at school you know they're a decent family they're going to want to keep that situation going so they'll they'll pay you just like a private tenant would Um, why wouldn't they so it's not absolutely imperative to get direct payments. I think a lot of people panic about that. Um, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary. But it's essentially the strategy on a, on a basic level is really helping people who are struggling to get into houses. So, and for providing them with that and maybe doing things slightly differently and not thinking of professional tenants that, you know, they need X amount of deposit, X amount of rent up front. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is actually working with what they come with, which is, you know, the backing of the government, um, maybe some charity support somewhere, maybe some of those things. So it's then accessing all these areas that then makes you comfortable on a landlord of taking them on, but putting them in and seeing what they potentially can claim, which potentially is more than a lot of other landlords or the tenants themselves, are always aware of, which allows you to charge a reasonable rent for the properties that you've got. But it also means that they're getting into properties uh, that they might not necessarily have access to. So if I give an example of one of my students that um, he just recently moved in, he was going to do a high-end HMO, uh, You know, I was coaching him through the period of lockdown and he, we were talking this is a bit too risky. We touched on the you know, BRR model and it was like, ah, let's keep it minimal and um we can get a family and actually that came from the council and this family was qualified for the four bedroom rate uh and and that meant that the rent was quite good uh, for the size of the property that they were going in but they were coming from a living in a one-bedroom flat that was rat infested above the public convenience in the center of town um so when they walked into this house he said nice. they, they thought their birthdays <laughs> had all come at once so it's you know people go, well, why would they want to live there? Surely that isn't what they want. And it's like, yeah, no, that is what they want. You know, that can be what they want. Yeah. So the core of the strategy is really unleashing, I guess, the potential of what they're coming with, with the, the benefits and what they can claim. Um, and there's some what I call quite creative things that you can do that are fully in the guidelines of, of universal mm-hmm. credit, but they're just not used much, and therefore not many people are aware of them. And mm-hmm. that's what I try and do is help people become aware of them, and therefore get what they're entitled to.
0: Excellent. So one one of the uh, and I um you know in in quite a few of my properties I do have council ten- tenants in there um and you know in one of them in particular they they were moved from one one town to another because in that town they were in there was like a three year waiting list for them to be given a house by the council. And the council were like, look, we've got a private landlord, you know, can't come over. So, yeah, you're, you're helping people um, 100%. So one of the things that I found is, um, so I do rent to rent and uh, I do sort of rent to rent HMOs. And um, in one of the locations where I have mine, the local room rates tend to be lower than, than, uh, than you know, and the market rate so unless the tenant is willing to do the top up because you know they'll get their housing allowance which i think now is referred to as uc universal credit and then um unless they're then and then i think they get like another allowance so unless they're willing to pull from that allowance or from whatever you know maybe they're doing on the side um the the room rates tend to be a little bit yeah, actually a bit lower than than sort of market rent. So what would you say to an investor who's thinking about this and thinking, well, the room rates are not so great. So Yeah, so so the, the room rate- can
1: I, can I can I answer that?
0: Yeah, of course you can.
1: Come on the training course, people. <laughs> i know how to work that out
0: <laughs> we've got to give our listeners something come on dude.
1: <laughs> give them something but they need to come on the training is excellent we'll carry on mike <laughs> yeah so
2: so the you know I, i'll just explain a little bit about why room rates well a couple of things there is again you know room rates um they are low and they 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 just always have been low but that's because when they assess the rents, because one of the ways that they set these rates is they look at all the private rents. And of course, an HMO rent generally includes the bills. And you have two couple of portions of universal credit. One is the rent section and one is the living section, uh, what used to be typically known as job seekers allowance or earning support allowance. That element there is where you should be paying your bills. So it's almost structured that intentionally you have to top up as a tenant which is why they always look very very low for room rentals which funnily enough is why i don't very often offer uh, single rooms to people who qualify for sharers rates um you know t- i tend to uh you know i'll i'll let on when when we're in that environment i'll tend to let to older people who qualify for a little bit more and you need to understand why you quali- they qualify for more um so you could you know depending on what you do and how you structure it there is a way of easily getting more and just to pull out your point around as well because you're talking about well rent to rent is if you understand these strategies it opens up the market of what kind of properties you can take on board and guarantee the rent to the landlord because you're looking at big houses and letting them out by room to get a difference between the single let rent and the uh, HMO rents I guess um, but there's many other properties you can do that on because if you follow the social housing strategies you don't have to find such big houses and then all of a sudden instead of having maybe 10% of the property stock that you can utilise you've probably got 90% of the property stock you can utilise because there's ways that we can increase rent on flats there's ways that you know on two bed terrace properties for example are a favourite of mine um, that you can increase the rent on or maybe even three bed uh, properties. So those you wouldn't be typically taking on to do a rent to rent on an HMO basis, but you can do it um, very much on a, you know, on a rent to rent to social uh, tenants if you know and understand the structures um, correctly. So there's many hints and tips you can do that. So for example, I often put a couple of tenants in. Um, so if I've got a nice two up, two down, so two 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 rooms upstairs, two rooms downstairs, kitchen and a bathroom in a house, you know, so a simple classic um, two bed terrace property that you see all over the place, you know, these Victorian terrace properties in many towns across the country, Um, you know, I'll I'll put two tenants in there, Um, two tenants over 35 and I will boost the rent by probably 30, 40% because I know what they're entitled to claim if I I structure it in the right way. Um, Those tenants are not therefore having to live in a shares house. Um, they're living in their own, you know, they have their own bedroom, their own lounge. They might, and probably just sharing the kitchen and bathroom with someone else. And that's, you know, better than where they potentially would be in a, in a shared house somewhere. So, um, yeah, it it just opens up knowing all of this stuff opens up. If you're a rent renter, like yourself, it opens up the possibilities.
0: Sign sign me up, Mike. Sign me up. (laughs) Where's the link? Where's the link? (laughs) No, awesome. Awesome. No, that's, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And a few things you've said, it makes sense because I've gone through those things. So I do have, for example, a slightly older tenant who can meet the market rate because they qualify for more um yep. you know so, now
1: you're talking dummy <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah yeah so i i'm connecting what you're saying to what i'm experiencing so very interesting very very interesting can awesome. i just say
1: though that 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 bit is the basic of that's that's probably like level one of this strategy <laughs> <laughs> no so when i had when i had mike speak at um another event and he started to talk about the strategy and I, and I was literally connecting the dots as well, just like you just did. you like, oh, yeah. Obviously, I didn't know it was a strategy. I was like, oh, I see how that is. So that, for me, was what got me interested. But when we did the course, there's like, literally, that, that is level one. It's so amazing what you can do once you have the, the, the knowledge and the information. And this is something that Damien and I say on this podcast. And like, you don't know what you don't know. You can't Google what you don't know. And the only way you know these things when you go sit with someone that, that that is doing it so yeah the the strategy works um I'm said someone that's really looking forward to to doing the strategy one of the places that I've been looking to invest in and in fact I did invest in in a bought a property um in an area where I normally I, my gold mine area and um I realized that it was quite i mean it was quite cheap which is the the attraction in the first place but i found that a lot of the tenants were more, in fact 90 percent of the people that inquired were people on um on um on housing benefit as you were at the time um so that because i didn't know of this strategy i just kind of said you know what i i don't know if i want to invest further in that area having been on the scores now i'm actually looking like actively looking for properties to buy because i so see the potential Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, one of the things that we try to do on this podcast is not just share what we're doing, but also share what's possible that we know or we've heard of. So this is something that I definitely want to encourage um, anyone listening to check out. It is a viable strategy.
0: Awesome. So we've got a couple more questions Mike, before we let you go. Um, And again, this has been so valuable. Thank you. Before I ask you that question, I want to say what what would you say are the challenges for somebody coming into this social housing or utilising the the social housing strategy? What would you say are kind of the typical challenges that one would face coming into this?
2: I, I think the main the main one is around knowledge, and and I think in this sector, um, a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. And and that that I think is is the thing because it's almost when you don't know much, you're not even going to try it. You start to learn a little bit and then you try and put it into place. And if you don't know the fine details of this strategy, and I would say this is more so than many other property strategies out there, you could get something wrong. And getting something wrong means you could earn a lot. You know, it's going to cost you quite a lot of money if you get something wrong. So the possibility of getting something wrong is, is... is, is going to be the challenge. So learn, you know, I would say, and it's learn from someone who's done it or, or learn, you know, find someone who's who's doing this strategy and knows this strategy inside out. So you need to, more than any other strategy, I mean, Tony Robbins always talks about mastering something. And I think, you know, I've been doing this over a decade now. So I, I believe that I've, you know, certainly put my hours in To get And there's things I don't know and there's things, you know, I don't know everything in this strategy, by all means, because as you say, you you don't always know everything and you always need to to continue to learn and develop. But, you know, learn from someone who knows a lot more than you um, and has done it. And, you know, as I said, it's cost me a lot of money to learn um, through this as well. Um, So, yeah, a little bit could be a little bit dangerous. So know and master this strategy. There are some simple things that you can do, so you can get some quick wins. Um, you know, so maybe some of the uh, as you know baseline strategies are quite easy. But if you want to get into it big time, that's when you really need to deep dive into this strategy.
0: Excellent. You, you've uh, you've you've done your ten thousand hours of mastery yeah (laughs) awesome awesome okay so um and then the the i guess the final question then before i ask you our um uh, we always have a question we we ask our guests um so this one is around your personal recommendation on how new investors should should navigate the housing market post covid so this isn't just about social housing, but just your own kind of thoughts and, and feelings on what people should do, investors should do um, post-COVID.
2: Is this particularly aimed at new investors or any investor post-COVID?
1: I think we should talk about both, actually.
2: <laughs> I, I think there's going to be many opportunities, but I do think it depends on your experience level as where you should be aiming those opportunities. So if you're slightly more... in um, if you're a slightly more experienced investor, then I think, you know, some of these mixed use properties, you know, I think the high street will suffer through all of this and therefore there might be some opportunities on maybe secondary high streets where you've got commercial and um, resi above. Uh, they're, they're ideal for potentially converting the above into flats if they're not already flats. Um, and then the resi value will keep the value up of that building whereas it might be being sold more on a commercial value and if there's no commercial tenant um, then it's going to have a lower value so I think that's an area where you can really add value to a property. By the way um, those uppers can really be used really well for social housing too um, so if you design the uppers really well that 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 is a really good opportunity so I think if you're a bit more advanced because buying a semi-commercial property is I think a bit more advanced it should some people do it as their first purchase but I wouldn't necessarily uh, recommend it Um, if you're just trying to get into property um, you know post-covid I still think you know I think there's going to be some good buying opportunities so even for a a novice I think um, just look and spot good buying opportunities um, and um, understand the motivation of the seller so A lot of deals come from, it's not necessarily property per se, it comes from the motivation behind the person selling it. So seek out people who are motivated. Um, It's often recommended, it's often said that there's the three Ds, death, divorce and debt. And uh, unfortunately, I think COVID has exacerbated all three of those. Um, So uh, as you can imagine, I think there will be some, uh, opportunities um, post COVID, but you know the banks still want to lend, um, so it's a good environment that you can still get financing. There's also a lot of private investors out there who do still have money, so I do think it is a positive environment uh, in the long run. And we all know that there is such a shortage of property in the UK that um, uh, over the long term, property prices will continue to rise. And in the immediate term, there's going to be lots of tenants because they're not getting on the property ladder themselves because of potentially losing jobs, etc. So the rental pool will continue to grow in the short term. So that's one of the beauties of property investing. It balances out, you know, when there's good capital growth, maybe, um, you know, there's less growth in the rental market. And then when there's less capital growth and maybe everyone's not buying, there's you know, everyone's getting squeezed into the rental market and therefore rents potentially going up. So uh, I think, yeah, lots of opportunities
0: to come post-COVID. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Bim, um, do you have anything else before I ask our final question?
1: Mm, the final question? <laughs> no, go for it.
0: Okay, so, Mike, we asked our guests, um, or something we've just started asking our guests, um, just as a parting um, comment is, what what does property mean to you?
2: Mm. Property means, this is the killer question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This is a
0: killer question.
2: Um, uh, property, well, property means many things to me, and it means many things to different people. And I, I guess, um, you know, on one faction, as I was talking to someone yesterday, and something that, um, you know, as an investor, you kind of need to also remember, which is, it's just a box that you make money from so it's like on one end of the scale always remember you're an investor it's a box you make money from but i'd like to add on that as well it's also a home to someone so make sure that as well it is suitable to be a home for someone so yes recognize that it's a box so don't get too emotionally involved as an investor another deal will come along so don't get emotionally stuck with something. But then realize that actually a lot of value of your box can come about making it a home and where someone wants to stay and wants to live for a long time. So have both of those things in your mind. But one of the key things is don't get emotionally involved in it because it is an investment um, rather than anything else. And I think it's those who get tripped up sometimes in property are emotionally involved in it. You get emotionally involved in your home, but it's not your home. It's someone else's home. And let them get emotionally involved in it. Um, you
0: keep looking at it as a box, but also remember it is someone else's home. Very balanced for you, Mike. Thank you very much. So, um, where can people find out about, well, more about you, um, your training? Um, we'll put it in the show notes. But where can uh, just so that anyone who's listened can,
2: yeah, uh, yeah, you know, follow me on follow me on socials. Connect with me on Facebook. Uh, you know, Mike Frisbee. Um, or Instagram is a great one as well, um, at frisbee.mic. Um I also have some websites. Um, my, a lot of my training is called Property Business Accelerator. I help people accelerate their property journey into six-figure incomes. So I have a website called Property Business Accelerator. I also have a website um, of www.mikefrisbee.co.uk. So there's many ways you can get in touch, but I would say the socials are a great way to get connected Look out if you you know if you connect to our socials, you'll see we offer and putting on webinars. So we put on webinars on social housing and many other things uh, to help investors out. Commercial finance being another one, uh, HMOs is another one. So we do put out uh, quite a bit of free content. So just hook us up on that, follow us on the socials, and then you can get access to that. And then if you like what you're hearing, you know sometimes there's opportunities to do a bit more work with us, um, which we'd be delighted to help with. So that's probably the best way for people to get in contact with me.
0: Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm now following you on Instagram. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. the other way is
2: just a quick email to my PA, pa at mikefrisbee.co.uk. Uh, and she's very good at responding. But she's Excellent. this podcast, is probably going to be inundated now. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've
1: got a final question actually. Mike, are you on Clubhouse?
2: yes i'm on clubhouse okay. oh. it is a recent it's a recent thing of mine i've literally because someone said come on we've got this room so mm-hmm. i joined because they said look i've got a room it was actually around hmos but i'm thinking of forming a room around social housing um it's so new that i haven't really got my head around it but i have been on that this morning i was on um yeah. again in someone else's room i, I often the good thing is because people recognize me a bit so I get to, to add my two pennies worth occasionally um, but it's great little it's a great little environment actually I did I didn't quite really realize and understand but the way that you can connect with people is really really powerful I think yeah um, yes,
1: it,
2: it, is. it is very powerful because you get direct access to people so people you mm-hmm. often see you know you, you when you see them on the socials they're all on stage and they've got lots of people mm-hmm. um, donate in front of them yet you can you know sit in a virtual room with them and ask them a direct question and they'll, they'll answer if they if exactly
1: so it, it, it's a game changer it's a g- definite game changer we I mean, we've been I'm, I'm so in love with clubhouse <laughs> I spend my weekends on clubhouse no it's a game changer it's it's absolutely amazing yes. um, and just love it
2: yeah. So follow me on Clubhouse and look out for, I should, no doubt we'll be starting to create some rooms. Um, I think one of the good thing is I've noticed that people collaborate and create rooms. So there's a few people that create a room. So you get some good level of debate. You're not just getting a one-sided view, which is fantastic. So yeah, uh, I think my handle on that is um, at Mike Frisbee. Um, so just always look out for the Mike Frisbee. And you, so- the, the funny thing I hear about all of the, the Clubhouse thing is like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Simon with the you know red background or whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that's
2: that's, know, rough, that's and rough. the guy. And the guy is like I'm, I can't remember his name. But all I remember is he's got red duck on his head. So he goes, yeah, I'm I'm down with a red duck on my head. It's like, hard to talking. So they worked it out and thought, well, I'll get some visual cue. But it's like, yeah, you know, I'm down with a red duck on my head. And I'm yeah. thinking, and i take him seriously because he's got a red duck on his head yeah I'm um right. but actually, the man with the red duck on his head actually has a lot of decent things to say so actually uh, uh and we're all now talking about him which is es- essentially what he's um doing so if you get in the clubhouse have a look at um, the man with the red duck on his head uh and think about what you're going to put on your head
0: uh-huh. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll have to we we also have every Thursday a prop chat, which is kind of a spin-off from propcast. And uh on on one Thursday we'll probably get you down and uh we'll 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 talk some more. We'll do some collaborations on there.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I look forward to that. And thank you for uh awesome. having me on um your podcast.
0: Really no, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure.
1: It, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mike. No problem
0: so if you've um, found this useful if you've enjoyed the podcast please go and follow mike give him a give him a follow on on socials and you know if you want more information about his products his services and everything he does do um reach out to him uh the, the his details will be in the show notes and um no, this has been super useful something that i'm going to look into as well i think bimbo you've already done the course so um you're already kind of one step ahead so excellent bimbala before we go, anything else to to say?
1: Um just thank you. Thanks um Mike for coming on and thank you guys for listening. Um as we've always said, you know, the, the key in property is to be educated, is to know what's new, you know, what's changing the game, what's in, you know, what's moving the market and I think this is one one of such so please do do look into this further. And um till next time. Thank you guys.
0: Till next time. Ciao. Bye.